like to speak to you this morning from uh, one stanza of Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verses 145 through 152. This is the cough stanza. So I will uh, read this. I'm reading from the uh, English Standard Version. I see the uh, NIV here. Maybe that's what most of you use, but I'll be reading from the ESV. Hear the word of God. With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord. I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night, that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love. O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Since the reading of God's word, let's ask the Lord's blessing on it to us this day. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this great psalm that tells us so much about your word. Lord, we uh, confess our own ignorance and we give you great thanks that you have revealed yourself to us, that you've shown us the way of Christ, that you've given to us uh, a true hope in him. And we pray, Father, that you would bless this word to us uh, this morning. Uh, we pray that by your spirits, uh, you would give us hearts to respond in faith and repentance as we ought. And we ask that your name alone would be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Psalm 119 uh, is uh, known for one thing especially, and that is for what it says about God's word. And that is, uh, that, that's a well-deserved reputation. Uh, almost every verse uh, contains a term uh, for God's word. And so we rightly uh, look to this psalm to instruct us about the glories of the scriptures. And yet, uh, we don't want to uh, think that Psalm 119 is only about the word of God. There are a lot of other things going on in this long psalm. And this is one of the advantages of reading the psalm as a whole, which I would strongly advise you to do. Uh, I know that there are many people who, uh, uh, who will say, uh, read one verse of Psalm 119 and meditate on that. I've, I've, I've talked to many people who have done things like take one verse a day and meditate on it, and I don't deny that that can be very profitable, uh, but there's something lost if we only look at Psalm 119 in 176 discrete uh, uh, sayings. Uh, there is a fuller message uh, that is going on in Psalm 119. 
Now, this psalmist, he doesn't tell us his name. We can't be positive uh, who he was or at what time uh, he wrote. But the psalmist tells us some important things about himself. And he draws us into his spiritual experience. One of the really important things that the psalmist tells us is that he is a sojourner. He's a sojourner on this earth. And that should catch our attention because the Old Testament Israelites really were not supposed to be sojourners. Abraham was a sojourner. He wandered around. He lived in other people's cities. But God had brought the Israelites into their promised land and had settled them there on their ancestral plots of ground and had promised to bless them there. This was to be their inheritance from generation to generation. And yet God had also threatened that if they were disobedient, they rebelled against his law, that he would make them sojourners again. He would drive them out of their land into exile, that they would live in foreigners' lands. And so when this psalmist tells us that he is a sojourner, it's somewhat ominous. It indicates that something has gone wrong, that uh, this psalmist uh, is experiencing something of the curse of God living in a foreign land. Uh, this psalmist also tells us that he was a great sinner, that he was once a rebel against the Lord, but he has repented. He has turned back to the Lord, and he is now serving him. Now, this offers some insight as to why he may be a sojourner. Uh, he has been a sinner. God's people as a whole have been sinful. Perhaps he is one of the Babylonian exiles. We cannot be certain of that, but that may well be the case. We also know that this psalmist is suffering terribly. It is true that he has repented. He's turned back to the Lord from his rebellion, but... He comes back again and again and again in the psalm to reflect on his persecutors. And he is fearful of his very life. And so he keeps crying out to God for help from them. And so the psalmist draws us into his particular spiritual experience. But I would suggest to you this morning that one of the reasons why Psalm 119 has been and can be so profound and encouraging for the new covenant people of God, even today, is because the New Testament tells us that we are sojourners. We are sojourners in this world, not because literally all of us don't have a, some sort of a permanent home in this world, but because every Christian in this world is a citizen of heaven and yet is still living in this world, in the midst of this present evil age. All of us are homeless in some fundamental way. This psalmist was living away, apparently, away from the temple in Jerusalem, the center of religious worship at this time for God's people. All of us today are living apart from the heavenly temple where Christ, our Savior, ministers for us. We are at a distance. We are in a far country. And the psalmist's helps us understand our spiritual experience. Now, all of that is just general comment about Psalm 119. One of the things that we see the psalmist in our stanza speaking about particularly is prayer. We see this especially in the opening verses. 
Now, of course, we as New Covenant Christians, we glory in the privileges, the heightened privileges that we have in prayer that go beyond what our Old Testament brothers and sisters had. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus said to his disciples, from now on, you will pray in my name. That is something that the Old Testament saints didn't enjoy. Now we have Christ ascended to heaven in our glorified human nature, and he is interceding for us. So that as we pray here on earth, we have Jesus, our high priest, praying for us in glory. That's a privilege that the Old Testament saints didn't have. Of course, we live after Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has been poured out in full measure upon the people of God, and the Spirit helps us as we pray, even beyond that, uh, that, even the help that he gave to the Old Covenant saints. And so we glory in the privileges that we have in prayer, and yet we learn so much about prayer from our Old Testament forebears. And that is especially true of the Psalms that help us to pray. And here in Psalm 119, which in a way is, the whole thing is one long prayer in a certain respect, but we see the psalmist focusing on prayer here. This is the prayer of a sojourner, a prayer of one who is living in the midst of affliction, the one who is living away from the temple that he called his spiritual home. And as we spend a few minutes thinking about this stanza this morning, let's keep that in mind. Well, as we look at these opening verses of our stanza, uh, we see the psalmist not so much praying as describing prayer, describing his own practice of prayer. Notice, first of all, the terms, the verbs that the psalmist uses to describe his prayer. Verse 145, with my whole heart I cry. Verse 146, I call to you. Verse 147, I rise before dawn and cry for help. Interesting that these terms that he uses to describe prayer, crying out to the Lord, calling upon the Lord. You don't get the sense as you read this that prayer is something like communicating information to God, sending God a memo, sending God an email communicating some things we would like him to know or some things that we would like him to do for us. Prayer is crying out to the Lord from the depths of our heart. That is what prayer is. It is crying out to him in the day of trouble, as a number of psalms uh, say elsewhere. Now, all of us... Uh, we're different. Uh, some of us personally uh, seem to be uh, very comfortable with sharing intimate, private things with other people. Others of us are more reserved. Uh, we're not very comfortable about sharing personal, private things with other people. And I guess that's fine. But when it comes to the Lord, there is no point in being private in keeping secrets. I mean, for one thing, the Lord knows everything in our hearts anyway, so it's just dumb to do that, to think we could do that. 
But even more than that, the Lord delights when his people open up their hearts to him and communicate the deepest things of our souls. You might think of 1 Peter 5, where we should cast our burdens upon the Lord, for he cares for us. The psalmist is communicating something of that here. We cry out to the Lord. We call upon him. We bear our souls before him. That is what prayer is. And notice another thing that the psalmist communicates about prayer here. Prayer is holistic. In what sense is it holistic? Well, you see one sense already in the opening line of this stanza. With my whole heart, I cry. This phrase, my whole heart, is one that the psalmist has used already in this psalm. He uses it in the first stanza, he uses it in the second stanza. It's a way that the psalmist communicates elsewhere this idea of holistic devotion to the law of God. That his devotion to God is not on occasion. It's not with a little bit of his energy, a little bit of his strength, a little bit of commitment, but with everything that he has. And here the psalmist comes back to this language of the whole heart to describe his prayer. Prayer is something that flows out of a holistic commitment to the Lord. And notice also that prayer is holistic in, in a sense of time. In verse 147, the psalmist says, I rise before dawn and cry for help. And then in verse 148, my eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. Early in the morning, late at night, the psalmist is engaged in prayer. The psalmist is meditating on the word of God. We might think of what Paul says very simply in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray continually. Of course, we don't literally pray all the time in the sense that we are consciously praying to the Lord 24-7. And yet the psalmist here communicates what Paul is also getting at. That prayer is to be something that characterizes us as Christians. It is something that we do regularly, frequently. If you were asked to describe someone, describe someone that you know briefly, you would not pick out something that this person does once in a while, a character trait that the person occasionally exhibits, you would pick out something that you see in this person day after day after day regularly, something you expect to see in this person. All Christians should be characterized by prayer. It is something that we do. Fish swim. Birds fly, scorpions sting, Christians pray. This is who we are. This is what characterizes us. Prayer, you might say, is a way of life for us as believers in the Lord. 
So the psalmist, you might say, after reading these first four verses, the first half of this stanza, you might say, the psalmist, that's a really high bar. A high bar that might make us not feel as good about our own prayer lives as uh, we might wish to feel. And if that's the case, and I hope it's the case, I hope you don't, I, I hope there's no one here who feels like you have arrived with your prayer life. But for those of us who recognize the weakness of our prayers, the frailty of our prayers, the next verse, verse 149, is very encouraging, isn't it? Hear my voice according to your steadfast love. O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. You'll notice here that though the psalmist speaks about prayer in, you might say, very exalted terms in the first four verses, what is the psalmist's confidence that the Lord hears him? Is it because he prays so often? Is it because he prays so eloquently? And the answer is no. He looks to the Lord and his goodness, to the Lord and his grace. That is his confidence that the Lord will hear him when he cries out with his whole heart. In Hebrews chapter 10, the author of that epistle speaks about how our Lord Jesus Christ has opened up a new and living way into the heavenly sanctuary through his broken body. That is our confidence in prayer. It does not lie in anything that is in us. We have no right in ourselves to approach the throne of God. We have no right to claim a place in his presence. But we do have our Lord Jesus Christ. And he has purchased for us that inheritance. He has purchased for us the right to approach the throne of grace with confidence to find mercy and help in our time of need. That is our confidence in prayer. Now when the psalmist says here, when he asks God to hear him according to his steadfast love, that sounds exactly right to us, doesn't it? Then, but the second thing he says, O oh Lord, according to your justice, give me life. That may not actually sound exactly right at first. How often do we dare approach the throne of grace and say, O oh Lord, be just and bless me. In some ways, we're trained not to think in those ways. And yet, if Christ has purchased our salvation, if Christ has offered himself up once for all as a perfect sacrifice for sin, and brothers and sisters, you can be assured that it would be unjust for God not to hear you when you approach God in the name of Christ. He has purchased that right for you. And it is not only because of God's grace, not only because of his love, we might say, but even in his justice, he hears us when we approach him because we stand justified through Christ before the throne of God. In these next two verses, uh, verses 150 and 151, I would have you note 
how the psalmist, uh, the psalmist is a skillful poet. There is, there is no doubt about that as we, as we study this psalm. Uh, the psalmist plays on these ideas of nearness and distance. Now, I, I made note uh, earlier how this psalmist, uh, he, he is a man who is living at a distance, at a distance from the promised land, at a distance from the temple, at a distance from the priesthood, offering the sacrifices. Uh, and that was not easy. But it's not as if everything is distant for him. In verse 150, he says, They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. He's far from the temple, and yet here are evil people, persecutors who are drawing near to him. Right? That, that, that's ominous. And it gets even more ominous when we find the psalmist saying, They are far from your law. These evil people who are drawing near are far from God's law. This is one way among many that the psalmist expresses this, these trials, this affliction that he is suffering. But in verse 151, he responds to his own, his own lamentation in verse 150 by saying, But you are near, O Lord. You are near, O Lord. In a way, the Lord was distant from him. In a way, he was banished from the Lord's presence, and yet... God had not abandoned his people. He had not forgotten his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And how appropriate this comes in a stanza in which he's so focused on prayer. As the psalmist prays, he knows that God, though distant in a sense, is still near to him. He is still close to his people. And brothers and sisters, we still have that same privilege. We do not enjoy the presence of God the way we will one day. We do not see our Lord Jesus face to face. And that is a trial in this present age. And yet, especially as we pray, especially as we pray, we know that God draws near to us. We know that he blesses us. With his presence, in prayer, we have an experience of the intimate fellowship of God that is unlike anything else that we enjoy in this present day. And this gives us great confidence when the enemy draws near. Well, our text concludes by reminding us of two great things about the word of God. Of course, we, we'd almost be disappointed if the stanza didn't end with something on the word of God. And so you note at uh, the second part of verse 151, and all your commandments are true. One of the great things that we know about the word of God, it is true. So simple and yet so profound. Our own hearts are deceptive. We live in a world that is full of lies, that wants us to believe lies, but God's word is true. It is the one thing that we can absolutely count on. And then verse 152 adds, Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. You see, it's not just that God's word is true, but it is true forever. 
It's not going to change. God's word is not something that's true for us today and then something else might be true tomorrow. God's word might be beneficial for us now, but then next week something else might be good for us. No, God's word endures. God's word will be true for you every time you read it. It is with us. It comforts us. It instructs us. It encourages us day by day by day. And as we think about the prayer, the prayers that the psalmist encourages us to offer to the Lord, may our prayers always be grounded in the word of God. It is that which instructs us how to pray and gives us confidence as we pray. Let us turn to the Lord and now pray. Oh Lord, we thank you. Thank you for this great psalm. Thank you for this one stanza that you have given us that we may reflect on for a few minutes this morning. Uh, Father, we pray that we would be a praying people, that uh, though we are distant from your heavenly temple, though we do not see our Lord face to face as we one day will, oh Lord, may we be a people who are zealous for prayer, who pray continually, who pray before dawn, who pray in the watches of the night, who pray grounded in your steadfast love and your justice and your word. Father, we pray that you would comfort us with these things, that you would encourage our hearts. And we ask, Father, that you might now bless these words to the hearts of your people. We pray in Christ's name.